value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is having devastating human consequences, has increased the risk of a stagflation environment. That's one of slowing economic growth by accelerating inflation. We've been through it before on a previous episode with our chief economist, uh, Keith Wade. But how should investors prepare for this possible scenario? Well, Sean Markowitz, a strategist at Schroders, he's done some analysis and it reveals which asset classes are likely to outperform if it comes to pass. So, Sean, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hi. Nice, nice uh, to speak to okay. you guys. Yeah, no problem at all. Let's start with uh, what. So why do investors worry about stagflation? Well, as you pointed out, it's an environment of slowing economic growth. So consumers are spending less, businesses are hiring fewer workers, and at the same time, inflation, the price at, uh, the rate at which prices increase, is accelerating. Uh, so, you know, it's not the best environment to be in uh, as an investor seeking risk assets um, because the businesses that tend to do best uh, need a lot of economic growth to see higher revenues, to, to, to see consumers going to the shops, um, but that's not really what's happening in a stagflation environment. Uh, businesses are are struggling to generate revenue growth uh, because prices are rising at an increasingly faster rate. And from an investment point of view, the worry is that companies' profit margins are going to be squeezed by those higher input costs. And at the same time, the revenues are slowly growing. And so from that perspective, investors start to worry that share prices um, which are sensitive to changes in earnings and profits are going to be impacted in that environment. And at the same time, the bond market, uh, which uh, is, is, is priced according to inflation expectations, uh, is also going to be uh, hurt potentially by that environment because bonds pay a fixed income and inflation erodes the value of that income. Okay, so basically prices are going up, demand is slowing, and that's potentially going to eat into corporations' uh, profit margins. Is that about right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why investors are kind of scrambling for an alternative investment option to protect their portfolio against um, the stagflation worry. And it's particularly a concern at the moment because, you know, the classic portfolio construction uh, template has been 60% in equities, 40% in bonds. When things don't go well, you've got your bond exposure providing some defensive properties. But when things go well, you know the equity market portion of your portfolio will will outperform. And 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 with the stagflation risk on the horizon, investors are now worried what, whether that model is going to even work anymore. There'll be investors out there, like, as you said, are questioning the model. So which asset classes typically offer protection in a stagflation environment? Well, if we look back in history and break down the economic cycle and focus just on the periods where growth was slowing and inflation 
was accelerating, um, in the US at least, uh, the best places to invest historically have been commodities and gold. So that makes sense from a certain perspective in the sense that you know gold is a safe haven asset, uh, tends to appreciate in times of economic uncertainty. It's certainly been the case in the past few weeks since the Russia-Ukraine war unfolded. And we'll, we'll speak about that perhaps in a moment. Um, and then commodities, they're raw materials, energy prices. They're, they're all sources of input costs for companies. Um, but they're also a key component of the very inflation index that we are defining is accelerating. So by definition, they're going to outperform uh, when inflation rises because they are often the cause of that rise in inflation. Um, we can also talk about, you know, what, what tends to do poorly. Um, and as I mentioned, equities are, are one of the areas that investors are nervous about because they're going to be um, more exposed to falling revenue growth, rising costs. Uh, I wouldn't really be thinking about keeping your money in cash either. Um, I mean, it's it's not going to be losing money potentially, but, you know, with interest rates at rock bottom levels, although some central banks have started to raise them in real terms. So if you adjust for inflation, you're still losing money. Uh, you know, inflation is, you know, anywhere between six to 10%, depending on which country you look at it globally. So, you know, you're losing that amount of savings in real terms with every year that your, your investments are stuck in cash. And then again, bonds aren't uh, a better option. Uh, historically, they've actually been uh, the worst performer uh, for uh, stagflation environments. Um, traditionally, you'd see the, the yield on those bonds increase as inflation accelerates. Investors need to be compensated for the fact that that income that the bond is paying is losing its value uh, because it's a fixed income after all. It will be interesting, however, I think, to see how the bond market reacts to the environment of stagflation once it's actually fully underway, uh, because to a certain extent, yields would actually have to come down in a slowing economic environment because the central bank might actually lower interest rates to combat that slowing growth. But on the other hand, they want to raise interest rates to fight the inflation. And this is the very conundrum that um, many central banks are, are in currently the U.S. Fed, the ECB in Europe, uh, they're not sure how to um, straddle that challenge because they don't want to choke uh, off the, the economic recovery since COVID. But at the same time, they also want to uh, quash the accelerating level inflation. So far, uh, bonds have not done very well, uh, but it's possible that we could see a period where bonds start to do a bit better because although inflation is rising, the central bank is deciding actually we're going to prefer to uh, lower the pace of uh, interest rate hikes or even cut rates at a certain point to prevent an economic recession. So I think there's there's a bit of an ambivalence uh, towards what the outcome for U.S. bonds would be. Would more riskier parts of the market, so I'm talking about the bond market in particular, so like the jump bond side of things, would they react in the same way as the more uh, safer side of things, so like the government bonds? Um, that's a very interesting question. So I think you have to think of it in, in terms of two parts. So the, the junkiest part of the market, because it, it, it's, it's riskier, those bonds 
don't tend to be issued with a very long maturity, uh, meaning they have a short duration. And generally, the longer the duration, the more sensitive the bond is to a change in interest rates. Um, so since the riskiest tranches of, of debt, the high yield junk bonds have quite low duration, they're actually less vulnerable to, um, to, to increasing borrowing costs compared to, to uh, you know, the, the safe haven government bonds. But on the other hand, they've also got more variable cash flows um, and they are more risky. So the, the kind of outcome for those risky bonds is somewhere in between the equities and, and, and the bond market. Um, so they're kind of a middling in between the two. So I think on par though, I wouldn't say they're, they're kind of either better or worse. They're somewhere in between. Um, whereas investment grade debt, which is the kind of safest form of um, corporate debt would, would stand to, to perform a bit better. Um, although they would be also hit by the fact that they have a longer maturity. So I think in short, I think the answer is unclear but it's going to be somewhere in between the outcome for equities and bonds. Great. And we should probably also mention that because the junk bonds more risky, they do pay a higher coupon or interest rates uh, to the buyer. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Um, so you mentioned previously the war in Ukraine has erupted, um, which just puts uh, another spanner in the works of the global economy getting back to some sort of normality following the pandemic. Um, so how have markets responded to that so far? Well, since um, late Feb, the worst performing asset class has has been fixed income, so government, particularly government bonds. Um, the, the US Treasury index, for example, is, is down 4%. Um, cash has has, has kind of been flat. Um, the next uh, worst performing asset has actually been gold. So, you know, despite all this chatter about inflation accelerating, slowing economic growth, gold's given up a lot of its gains that it saw manifest in the weeks just after the crisis unfolded. Um, and uh, at the same time, the stock market has actually recovered a lot of the losses that were experienced in the weeks after the crisis unfolded. Uh, the, 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 the implication is actually um, equities are slightly up since the crisis unfolded. So the S&P 500 uh, US benchmark index is up around 7% since um, uh, the 20th of February of this year. The best performing asset class has actually been commodities. Um, the, the Bloomberg Commodity Index is up 16%. Um, and, and real estate uh, proxied through real estate investment trusts, so publicly traded vehicles, they've also actually done really well. They're up 9%. Property prices are going up at the moment. Um, they're a good asset class to consider when thinking about inflation protection, and they've also rallied quite somewhat. And can I ask, if someone had told you at the start of the year that war would break out, is this how you would have expected asset classes to perform? 
That's a really interesting question because the answer is not at all. Um, traditionally, you see a dash for cash and a dash for safe haven assets. And we haven't really seen that play out. We saw that play out since the crisis erupted with kind of yields plummeting. Um, but the investment community has come around to the view that um, the central banks are going to go ahead with tightening monetary policy. And that's why I think we've seen bonds continue to sell off. And at the same time, um, you would think that equities would sell off an environment of geopolitical risk, which they had, but they've re kind of recovered quite well and brushed off this crisis as, as a one-off. Commodities, another kind of risk-on asset class has rallied a lot since the crisis unfolded, but also especially um, this year with energy prices skyrocketing through the roof. Um, and again, that's not something you would expect, but I think it's the, it's, it really highlights the uniqueness of this crisis. It, it is both an energy crisis and a geopolitical crisis. And given Russia's um, importance in energy markets, it's the third uh, largest um, exporter of um, energy. Uh, it, it's meant that the impact on the commodity market has been to tighten uh, conditions and, and squeeze supply, pushing up commodity prices. So that's why we've seen them rallying. And of course, it's not just gas and oil, is it? It's um, actual other commodities such as wheat, uh, Ukraine and Russia combined produce a large amounts that's supposed to go around the world. And with supply chains crimped as well, that's causing this inflation and growth issue. Yeah, exactly. We, we'll come on to that in a bit if you like, but one of the interesting um, things that we've seen play out in the equity market space at a sector level is that a lot of these consumer staple companies, you know, food companies, they're struggling because they're facing very, very high costs for a lot of the food components of their products. We, as you pointed out, um, that's going to squeeze profit margins and, you know, these companies have very, very thin margins. Get in touch with us by email at shoulderspodcasts at shoulders.com or visit our website, shoulders.com forward slash investor download. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the stagflation environment or the potential for a stagflation environment and the asset classes that typically offer protection. So are, let's focus more on equity. So are all equity sectors likely to be equally affected in a stagflation scenario? Well, the first thing to say is, you know, if the equity market is likely to fall in a stagflation environment, then in general, there's really nowhere you can hide because, you know, if the overall index is down, it doesn't matter where you put your money. Um, some are going to be worse. Some are going to be more insulated and better protected. But ultimately, um, there's going to be some pain felt. But that isn't always true. And um, historically, there has been a tendency, though, for the more defensive uh, components of the market uh, to outperform the broader index, and some have even generated positive returns. Um, it's unclear whether that's going to manifest this time. At least, you know, this this year so far, the only sector uh, to actually generate positive returns has been uh, energy, which you know makes sense given that. Um, the, the energy 
uh, costs have been accelerating very rapidly, but everything else is pretty much down. Um, so going back to the defensive companies that I'm referring to, these are really the, the firms that sell products and services that are essential to people's everyday lives. So in a nutshell, that means their share prices are going to hold up better when the economy slows. So if you think about it, you know, whether inflation is high or not, people will still need to buy food. They still need to pay their electricity bills. They still need to pay the rent. But they, pri they probably are not going to you know, buy a new car or an iPhone until prices are lower. So those more cyclical uh, companies the likes of, you know, an automaker or an electronics uh, uh, phone um, manufacturer, they, they they might be worse off. So when we look at the historical uh, tendency for, for performance, uh, we'd find that utilities, consumer staples, real estate companies, these are really the sectors that tend to do the best in an environment of stagflation. Energy, however, a cyclical sector also tends to do well. And as I've explained before that, you know, that makes sense given the, the close ties of their revenues to energy prices. Uh, on the other hand, more cyclical sectors such as IT, industrials, uh, and financials, they, they tend to do the worst. They're the most levered um, uh, sectors to the economic cycle. Their beta, their sensitivity to the broader index tends to be above one, meaning for every fall in the overall market, they tend to suffer disproportionately more. Uh, and so I think the take, key takeaway is that, you know, there is some value in being a bit selective about which companies you can own. So if you have the flexibility to weight different uh, sectors or choose to reduce your exposure to a market that, you know, has a lot of the more vulnerable cyclical names, then it, it may be wise to do so to shield your portfolio. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like it does pay to be or have at least a little bit of a mix of passive and active in your portfolio, certainly during a stagflation scenario. Yes, I mean, not everyone has the flexibility to um, deviate from the, the benchmark weights that they, they currently own in their portfolio for you know, pragmatic reasons, but um, it, it may pay off to, to shield the portfolio from say, um, you know, IT stocks, which are one of the worst performing sectors here to date, uh, and, and markets such as the US, which have a huge overweight to IT, have been one of the worst performing markets because of their huge overweight to that sector. And I suspect that that um, underperformance could be exacerbated in an environment where stagflation Okay, so given what we know about how different equity sectors behave in a stagflation environment, which equity regions look most vulnerable? So I've already touched on the US, so that's one to bear in mind. Um, it has the largest overweight to IT, uh, which is traditionally one of the worst performers in an environment of stagflation. Um, Japan is another one that investors should be mindful of, given its huge overweight to consumer discretionary uh, sectors, uh, which um, tends to, to do less well uh, in an environment of stagflation, the likes of you know, Am uh, Amazon, but also um, uh, discretionary item companies. Um, and so in investors should be mindful of not having um, an excess uh, of, of, of concentration in their portfolio to those regions. On the other hand, uh, if we look at the current sector weights of the UK and Europe, they seem to offer much more protection in a stagflation scenario. So, for example, 50% of the 
uh, MSCI UK index, which is the, the index composed of large cap companies, uh, is made up of energy and defensive stocks. Uh, and the equivalent figure is around 36% for, for Europe, whereas US and Japan, they're both are under 30%. Um, so they, they could potentially also offer some um, some refuge in environmental stagflation. We've certainly seen the UK outperform this year precisely because of that. You know, the UK is a, a market that has the largest overweight to energy companies, but also material companies that have done um, quite well because, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the price of raw materials has has increased significantly. So that's benefited those companies. Uh, but I think from a pragmatic point of view, it's also worth remembering that the UK represents only 4% of the global equity market. So practically speaking, a small overweight is not going to be very significant in terms of its impact uh, in minimizing downside risks. But Europe is a much larger investable market. It's around 11% of the global index. So I think um, it, it might be more practical to, to to consider having some exposure to both those markets to to implement a, a tactical view. The final thing I think I'd like to, to point out is if you were to suppose just for a moment that these historical returns that I've described uh, were to be repeated and mapped onto the current regional sector weights. Uh, based on my modeling, in this scenario, UK and European equities would be expected to outperform a global market cap weighted portfolio by around 4 and 1% per year, respectively. And in contrast, um, the US and Japan would underperform by around uh, 0.5%. Of course, there's no guarantee this could happen. And there are going to be many other macroeconomic factors, such as level of interest rates and strength of the US dollar that will, will play a part. But I think um, what this suggests is that there, there may be value in technically adjusting uh, investors' regional allocation um, to shield their portfolio if the global economy slips into a stagflation in, in environment. And, and so investors who do have that additional flexibility to invest across different sectors and companies, or if they're um, fund manager that manages money on behalf of them has that flexibility. I think it would, be, it would pay off to, to be able to deviate from those um, rigid benchmark weights. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. Cheers.